coach first of all thank you thank you so much for doing this uh, really appreciate you taking the time uh, you're someone i wanted to talk to you for a long time so really looking forward to this okay fa- start whenever you want to yeah yeah so uh, first let me start with the book that is coming out it's coming out next month it's going to be uh, your memoir so to speak about your journey in football and things uh, it's called what itinerant coach the footballing life and times of steve dabby Yeah, uh, the itinerant coach, basically, uh, itinerant means someone who's travelled a lot, doesn't stay in one place, which, in a sense, I've been very lucky to have that career. Uh, I've been in the right place at the right time a number of times. Uh, I've met good people, mostly, 99%, I've met good people who have really enjoyed knowing. Um, and the book, was. I had a few people ask me, could, could they write... A biography of me I said yeah sure but only one guy really followed through which was Anthony Sutton and he he wrote a biography which basically is warts and all he researched it superbly he got people who didn't like me he spoke to them as well uh, he told the truth about things so it, it isn't sort of a glorified book it's uh, I hope the truth so if anybody who reads it they'll get honesty I hope and I know that will upset a few people um usually the administrators who I've probably continued to clash all throughout my career and some journalists, not all journalists, some are great and the journalists are needed, but some have got different ethics, shall we say. Every country's got different ethics of like journalism and I'll say administration as well. Yes, absolutely. So I actually wanted to ask you too, because your career spanned for such a long time, across so many of the asian countries and across australia as well and in england when you started it's got so much right like thailand vietnam laos so uh, is there any memories that stand out to you and i want one from india at least and maybe somewhere else as well yeah i mean lots of things happen behind the scenes really uh, which is what as a fan because i'm a football fan first uh, i want to know i used to want to know what happened to liverpool uh and now when i was a kid you never found out anything because the media didn't write about it and there was no social media of course in my time so now the social media's come out there's a lot less stories but there's a couple of, you know for example the difference in culture first time i was working with uh, peter reed uh we were playing at thailand's first international match half time we're walking down the tunnel and i could see peter reed was absolutely steaming with anger So I ran down, grabbed hold of him and held him against the wall. I said, look, don't do what you're going to do. I said, how do you know what you're going to do? I said, I know you're going to hammer. And he was going to hammer a player called Datsikorn, who was probably our best player, but he wasn't doing what we asked. And he was causing us a lot of problems. So I said, get him one-to-one, deal with it one-to-one it to his face. He'll handle it. But don't do it in front of the whole dressing room. I said, because you're not in England. you're in Thailand and in Thailand they have a, a concept called saving face and it was really important that you didn't embarrass anybody in public even in football culture you had to literally uh, you know do something privately and he accepted it like a professional but not publicly i said if you do it publicly in front of the players his hamstring will get tight five or six of his mates suddenly won't be at the 100% best you ha- and you know and peter reed was very very clever football wise and clever intelligent wise uh he did it at statcon one to one got a great second half out of him uh indian aspect yeah. one of the funniest things i ever saw was when i was at mohan bagan one of the goalkeepers said to me coach can i go skipping after training with a couple of the lads i said yeah, of course you can anyone's welcome to do extra training anytime never a problem said, thanks coach he went down to the bottom end of the pitch and i could see five or six of them no problem so i thought i'll go down and just watch them and give them a bit of support so i went down there and they're skipping but with no ropes <laughs> and i look and i thought what's going on so we haven't got any ropes coach but we know what we're doing and so he was actually doing all the skipping motions the changing of hands the faster motions and the lads were keeping with him but i've never ever seen anywhere skipping without ropes before and uh, it, it was just a, f- a fascinating place and 
behind the scenes as well, I, I discovered at times um, the caste system, which I found appalling, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, and I've, I've found many Indians find the, the caste system appalling. Obviously, usually the lower caste find it even worse. But, um, yeah, I, I had a bootman, man, a lad who, who cleaned the boots. All the players, you know, he, he cleaned all the boots of the players. So, end of the month, I gave him a tip. And next minute, one of the officials come charging down to me saying, you can't do that. I said, hey, it's my money. I can do what I want with my money. He said, oh, he'll want it off all the players. And I said, well, do you mean they don't tip him? He said, no. I said, well, they're going to from now on. I said, because that's, you know, that's part of the culture. You look after people who look after you. I then found out what I'd given him as a tip was probably his monthly wage. You know, and, and I suddenly found the disparity of the wealth in India between the top and the bottom was beyond my beyond my imagination you know it was uh, and that was examples of how I, I found it amazing amazing country I loved it uh, but every day was a learning experience uh, and again if we look at culture I talked about journalists I had I never ever criticize any player in public I'll do it to his face I'll do it in the dressing room you know if it's the right right country. And then one of the players came up to me, international player, I said, coach, did you say this about me? And I said, no, of course I wouldn't. I said, I wouldn't say it anyway. And I'd never say it in a, in a paper. And it was a Bengali paper. So obviously I couldn't read it you know, in Bengali. So I got it translated. And of course, it was absolute rubbish. I rang up the editor. I rang up the journalist at first, couldn't get him. I rang up the editor's boss. I thought, I'm going to take this to the top. And I said, look, I not only didn't say it, I never met this guy. So how on earth he's ever even got near it? It wasn't even out of context. He just said it. And the bloke just said, oh, well, if he didn't put a story in, he wouldn't get paid. And I said, well, I said, so he's made a lie up and you've published it. He said, yeah. I said, well, you can't do that. I said, I will never speak to that man again. And I won't even speak to your paper again. Because that's it's got to be two ways, this. You know, there were some good journalists uh, in, in, in Bengal or in Calcutta, but there was a, a crop of, of them who were very, I felt, very ethically poor. So, you know, that was that was some of the behind the scenes stories in, in India, you know. <laughs> so you having worked in India, right? And uh, you worked at a time when there was no ISL uh, and you were working with the biggest team of them all, possibly, you know, arguably the big, uh, biggest brand in Indian football per se. Then you worked in the ISL. So now we are six, seven years in into the ISL uh, bandwagon. Well, bet- between, I was working obviously with Mohan mm. Bagan, uh, and I'll be honest, it didn't work out well. Mm. Some of it had to be my fault. That's the real world. It doesn't Some work out well for anybody, to be fair, in Mohan Bagan. Even now, I follow it now. They've got into the ISL with ATK, and now they want to get rid of ATK. You know, so yeah. it's. Um, you know, it was a complex club. It was it was described to me as the Man United of Asia. And then I suddenly found out the Man United of Asia had cow dung on the pitch, mm. on the training pitch. It had no... The, the dressing rooms were filthy. The gym was underwater. Uh, there was no sponsor. There was no club shop. All that massive enthusiasm. Some great fans. And they had nowhere to buy a shirt. So, it, you know, it wasn't Man United of Asia. It could have been, mm. but it wasn't. Mm. But, you know, there's a lot of history there, and I value history. And the and the, what the club did, you know, in the famous people who beat the British, fantastic. I really respect that, and I enjoy it. But it could have been so much better at the time. But between I-League and ISL, I, I went to somewhere else. But before yeah. I finished with Mohan, I wanted to with Mohan to play, I had a squad that was too big. I made a mistake. I came in after the players had been chosen. My fault. I would never, only ever done it once again. And the same thing happened, a disaster. You should always try and get your players. I wanted to play the youth team players and my reserves in the Calcutta League. Oh, you thought I was asking for a million pound a week. Oh no, we've got to win the Calcutta League. I said, yeah, but 
you're not getting your players training, you're not giving the young boys experience, and you've also got a risk of injuries because some of the pitches were awful and some of the players were thugs in the Calcutta League. I said, you've got to look after your good players for the I-League. Another cultural battle, which was I lost, you know. So, anyway, between ISL and I-League, I went to Manipur. Uh, I got a call from a fellow called uh, Anoj Jikla, who's like an agent and a marketing uh, company. He said, Manipur, which I'd never heard of, I'll be honest, wanted, wanted someone to run a, a, a course for a month. And that was basically to get the best 30-odd youth players and teach them how to be professional. I thought, okay, I'll try that. I've never done it before. Uh, I laid out exactly what I wanted to do with the players. Well, the first thing is I really enjoyed it. That's the first thing. I found the people honest, sincere. The administrators were superb there, absolutely superb. In the middle of a poverty-stricken area, they had a superb FIFA pitch. And obviously, they'd spent all the money correctly. No one seems to have taken a cut-off somewhere, which happens in many countries around the world. But these people have done everything superb. I asked for portable goals. Portable goals arrived the next day. So we had the first thing I had to do, though, is stop these lads training too much because they said they wanted them to train twice a day. I said, well, seven days a week. I said, you can't go from training two or three nights a week to 14 sessions a week. You just can't do it. I said, what first thing will happen is they'll get injured. I said, so you just cannot do it. So I, I did football in the afternoon. And then in the mornings, I did some weight training with them. So a different set of muscles were being used. And it was teaching them to get stronger as well. Uh, I actually gave them a day off, which was like unheard of. I said, no, you need a day off. Every footballer at the highest level has to physically have a day off and mentally. But they were magnificent. I mean, the example, we had a day off. And on my first day off, a car turns up at the hotel with some of the admin. I said, come on, we're taking you out, coach. Okay, great. I'd, I'd like to see where I am. I had to go around and see places. Driving through a really bad area, I thought, where are we going? Suddenly, we turned the end of this road into a cemetery. And it was a chindit cemetery. And in there, it was absolutely full of beautiful rose, rose trees everywhere. Green lawns uh, and then hundreds upon hundreds of graves of me- mostly British young lad. I, looked, I was going along, look at them, 18-year-old, 19-year-old. These are people, I didn't even know about these battles that were going on at, in the Second World War. And there was so many Indian, Indian lads, British lads, Aussie lads, were killed fighting the Japanese in that area, which I knew nothing about, which is, which is my fault, a disgrace on my part, and my British history lessons are not very good. But, you know, this was a, I really sort of brought my faith back. And there were you know, players, good players they were. Some have gone on to the I-League. More, I think, would have gone on if they'd had a better opportunity. I mean, now that the North East is up there, you're in the ISL, they've got an opportunity. I mean, I think it's a fantastic area. Love the place. Yeah, so one of the things that... Uh, so I've been little culture obsessed, as I told you in the, in the email that we were exchanging. And the things that you learn when you read more and more about the history and how the football took, you know, sort of took root in that area, whether it's from the British coming in and then institutionalization through the church and all those kind of things. And we generally tend to put this thing as Northeast, like a group of states, but there are actually uh, seven different places. And all of them individually have so many differences, right? Mizoram is more touch-based football and Manipur is a lot more physical and, you know, they have a lot of military sort of attitude towards it because a lot of them do go on to military and things. So it's just fascinating. And you, as someone, I feel like you've really got onto the whole culture of football wherever you've gone to, reading your interviews and things like that. Yeah, I think you have to because the first thing is you're not going to beat culture. Any Anybody that comes in and thinks, I'm going to change India, well, <laughs> put it this way, the British Raj didn't change India, did he? <laughs> yeah, so Steve Darby, a football coach, isn't going to change India. So you have to accept that. And so many 
coaches from from I say Europe, Germans, Brazilians, you know, South Americans, English, they fail, and they fail because they try and impose their values on a different culture, and it just doesn't work. The the best advice I was given was by a Malaysian, uh, a Malaysian lady actually, her name was Mazita, and she told me, be like bamboo. And I looked and I thought, there's not much bamboo in Liverpool. So I didn't know what, what she meant. <laughs> said, be prepared to bend sometimes. Don't snap. And that snap would be the president picking your team or match fixing and things like this. Bend a little sometimes. Listen to people and you have to do it. I had a striker in Malaysia who rang me up one morning, national team striker, very good salary, brings me up. Coach, I can't come training. I said, why? He says, are you sick? He said, oh, no, no, I'm okay. He says, but my mum said I've got to take her shopping. And I said, you're an international footballer. You can't just say your mum's taking you shopping. And he said, coach, you can find me. You can drop me. But I've got to go do what my mum says. And I spoke to the captain and he says, coach, you've got no chance. He has to do what his mum says. And uh, I had an Indian, I had an Indian Malay boy, big centre back called Nanthakuma, great lad, great footballer. He come up to me with a wedding invite, and he said, "I said, oh, thanks very much. I'm happy to go." And he says, "I looked at it. I said, you can't go. That's a big, a big game that day." He mm. says, "I'm sorry, coach. And I, I knew, I knew he didn't want to, he, he didn't want to get, he wanted to play." And I said, "Look, I know your wife or your future wife. She would understand." He said, "Coach." It's nothing to do with me or my wife. It's our families. They've got together and the numbers are right. And the numbers mean we're going to get married at Indian wedding on that day. And there was nothing I could do about it. So I, I learned that no point getting angry at him because he, it wasn't in his power. So you have to adapt, be like bamboo. Yeah, it's there are similar things, right? When Diwali and things like that, when you come over and suddenly... It's an off day for the players. It doesn't like you, you in England. They play during Christmas, right? Or, or uh, just before yeah, and all yeah. That. I mean, in Malaysia, you, you would have certain Hari Raya and certain days where you just this wouldn't play. The Valley, and of course, in Malaysia when I was there, it was different. There was Chinese Malaysians, Indian Malaysians, Malay Malaysians. So you had all sorts of holidays. The British don't care. You know, we just we just play. We play. I always played on Boxing Day, and I saw that meant I trained on Christmas Day. Doesn't mean anything to me. You know, we are certainly less religious, and possibly football's our religion. That could be one way of saying it. But we're also less family based as well. I found in Asia, the family meant more to a player than it does to me. Uh, it, it just, it, you know, the extended family. In Asia, it's so important. It wasn't that important to me. Same with African lads. Often the African lads who I've signed are literally sending their salaries back to pay for the whole village. Mm. You know, and they end up broke themselves because they're funding their extended family. Totally different mentality to me, you know. Yeah, I've heard the same stories from runners, you know, distance runners, when they come and run, you talk to them. They always talk about I need to buy cattle or land and build a house, yes. all these kind yeah. of things. Mm. So yeah, uh, just generally talking about Indian. What is your experience in the Indian altered the culture, not particularly Mohan Bagan as such, or uh, Mumbai for that matter, but generally overall, like what was the experience like for uh, outsider? Because we've heard stories from so many different people, and a lot of them come and go very quickly. But uh, you've been here. You worked in Manipur. You worked in Kolkata. Two of the very, you know, strong culturally strong football uh, football areas, and a metropolitan place like Mumbai, where it's it's there, but it's not as strong. So, what was your general experience like? Well, I realized after I'd worked with the I worked with the India Star as well. Star India, sorry. Well, we went around all the country, commentating. I basically learned there was twenty two countries in one. <laughs> India to me is not a country, it's a continent. And it's a miracle that it hasn't exploded in terms of, you know, ra racial disharmony. So something's, someone somewhere is doing something right because it's so peaceful. 
it appears to be obviously peaceful as an outsider. I mean, there's, there's things I, I found hard to understand. The caste system, the poverty, uh, the way some people treat other people badly. I found that so difficult to understand. I'm not saying the English are perfect. Believe me, we're not. But I, I just found it was heightened, it would seem to be. I mean, one of the players I got to know very well, he said, Coach, the Indians are the most racist people in the world. He said, you English treat us better than fellow Indians treat us. He was from a certain part of the country. And I, I just I just learned, you know, I mean, there was just some incredible things going on while I was there that, as you say, it was the love of cricket. I love cricket. I really enjoy it. And I used to go and watch cricket games on these, they're not even pieces of grass. They were just like wrecks of, of pieces of land. And some of the cricketers were outstanding, you know, magnificent cricketers. And I'm going, you know, I, I would love to have played there because I, I did, I love the game in England. But you realise this game is, is grab the culture. You know, and I, I read a great deal about the history of, of the cricket and how it was, you know, it, it evolved anti-colonial almost. I can't remember the name of the. There was a famous film, which I thought was wonderful, about the cricket where the Indians ended up beating Lagan. the white. Yes, Lagan. Yes, yeah, yeah, loved it. Yeah. Even the dancing. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I got to like Hollywood uh, movie, Bollywood movies dancing. Yeah. Before I thought it was strange, but after watching a few, like the Bodyguard, I saw. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, a, a journalist <laughs> took me. Um, Sampurna. She took me, Sampona Chakrabuti, she took me to watch The Bodyguard because she said, you have to go and see a, you know, a, a real movie. Oh, it was brilliant. Loved it. You know, um, I can't remember the big guy. The big Salman guy. Khan? Up, sorry? Salman Khan? Salman Khan, yes. Because yeah, yeah. later I got to meet Rambir Kapoor. Oh. Now, I'd never heard of Rambir Kapoor. I'll, I'll be honest, you know, but and I, I ended up dancing with him. <laughs> uh, Mumbai Cricket Club uh, and so I've danced with Rambir and when I tell my Indian mates in England that I've danced with Rambir Kapoor whoa you know, they love it you know again that's a totally different culture you know so uh, you know, again this, this, this journalist in this case Samperna she taught me so much about the culture things like no don't say anything about that shut your mouth close your eyes because, you know, what are you going to do anyway? You can't change. I can't yeah. change anything. Yeah, actually, I agree with this uh, 100%. Like, India is a continent. And uh, I, I'm from Kerala, from the southernmost yeah. state. So, for me, the Bodyguard movie, it first came, it was a Malayalam movie. That's my mother tongue. And they yeah. remade it in Hindi. And uh, the movie transformed. The way it was shown in uh, Malayalam movie and how it goes to Bollywood it transforms like there is a lot more bravado there's a lot more hero is a lot more heroic and and the in malayalam it's a little more subtle the hero is not as you know strong and powerful as the as sanman khan's character is and it often happens so culturally it changes every time they remake a movie from malayalam industry or tamil industry it changes a lot because it has to cater to the cultural and taste of the yeah. audience so for me it's like a big no no like you, you you did not do this Justice yeah, to this, but I, then they're massive hits. I also later I got involved in a. I did the football choreo choreography choreography for student of the year, and that was filmed in Thailand. I can't remember the name of the producer. He's apparently famous. Karan Johar. Who's sorry again? Karan Johar. Yes, Karan. Karan. Oh yes. my god! That for you, you choreographed that football. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Football. In fact, in one scene, my foot is the is is I've, I've starred in a film with my foot. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't dancing; it was because the lad couldn't kick the ball properly. I had mm. to kick the ball, so they filmed my foot. They kicked it, and but I mean that was an education about how professional the movie making was. I tell, I remember now, Karan, because he had a TV show, didn't he? With Karan, yes, yes, yeah. So uh, I mean that was yeah. I really enjoyed watching that. You know, seeing these lads dedicate themselves because they realized how important it was to be a Bollywood star. Yeah. I mean, that football scene 
and i don't know it just seemed uh, again for me because i come from a culture where we it's not too over the top like we also have football games and when they do things like how they did it in student of the year and all we tend to make fun of them like so they have to sort of underplay how good the yep. hero was and things so it's just amazing to see how much you have experienced like all these things are absolutely uh, news to me here and another thing i wanted to ask you was so about women's football because you worked in in women's football over the years and uh, manipur i read an article somewhere where you said the women's football there is you know quite good and it's a factor yeah. is that they play with the boys so is there like a more egalitarian system in uh, yeah i i coached the australian women's team for the world cup Mm. and also the vietnamese women's team my view is they're footballers they're not women they're not men they're footballers applies to both same principles apply when i work with anybody but when i was in uh, manipur my assistant coach was a, a woman called chauba devi who um of you know and she was coaching the boys which i thought was fantastic very unusual and she was a good coach a licensed coach newer stuff really good and then one, on one of my days off she said coach i'm going to coach the women i said oh because i've never seen women in india play it was only only been a male thing to me she said oh I'll come along if you want so i said yeah no problem so i went along i was so impressed i've never seen so many six packs in my life they were so fit they were so strong <laughs> i put them through the same session as the elite 18 year old boys of manipur handled it no problem and some of the, one i think the fact is playing now for rangers in scotland uh, maladin yeah yeah and you know they were just really enthusiastic footballers who loved the game the only sad part was i was told that once they got married they had to stop uh now that to me was insane <laughs> you know so uh but that again i can't beat that and obviously they couldn't beat that and i also i had a chance to I watched her Mary Com train. Mm. Uh what oh, I would not argue with that lady. You know what a fighter. What a boxer. Magnificent. So, you know, it was it seems to be a, a friend of mine now Alex Ambrose is is taking the uh the youth women's team and he is doing a fantastic job with them and he he shows me some of the work he's doing and some of the videos of the players and the, the game is booming for the females. you know they're getting good coaches like Alex and Chauba you know and they're gonna you know it's gonna get better so many people so many people you've got a chance you know and if if the girls aren't playing cricket if they're getting channeled into football there's a bigger chance yeah absolutely the biggest stumbling block for indian women's game right now is a lack of games there's <laughs> just no games and whether it's a national team the league hasn't happened since february of 2020 and since then i think women has they played two games two games against uh, some central asian yeah they're going to have to yeah. i had that problem in vietnam we couldn't play anybody so we ended up playing men's teams mm. and what i did what i did was we play the men's national under 23s team they would play one touch we play just normal the women mm. and it ended up a very very fair game because it's not easy to play one touch for 90 minutes for yeah. men it's hard work and they found it hard the girls found it you know physically it was good pressure they were getting tackled and getting belted and then sometimes we play over 35 men where the pace had gone down but the technique was good so mm. that's the only way they're going and the only way they're going to get better is by playing with and against boys and they get beat who cares they get beat 10-0 next time it'll be 8 then it'll be 6 and bit by bit and they'll get better and better and they'll suddenly realize Hey, this is football. I'm not a girl playing football. I'm a footballer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that uh, we should look more into as a country who's trying to develop football as well. Uh, game time, especially youth system level, there is not enough games. We so I was doing some research and things. I think Japan plays around 50 odd games for oh. age group school, and we play around. Got to play games. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Got to play games. That's the way. I mean, playing games is more important than coaching, and I'm a coach. <laughs> but but if you don't play games you've got no chance it's how you learn to see the game you see the we say see the pictures you learn the geography of the pitch you learn the culture of the game oh no you, you have to play games totally agree with you 
Gotta play more games. So in that way, when you've obviously been part of ISL as a broadcaster and as a coach as well, and generally when you look at India, they're doing a top-down approach, it would seem, just like how China tried to do it. Um, I'm not a big fan. So what would your approach, your suggestion be? Because you worked in countries like Vietnam, who've done a phenomenal job in, uh, you know, sort of climbing up the ladder and improving their football. Yeah, I mean, when I went to Mumbai, it was magnificent. Uh, they were one of the most professional clubs anywhere in the world I've been with. Uh, they had everything organised. Everything was done for the players. Nothing was too much trouble. Uh, the only problem I felt was that agents were ripping off people. They were coming in and overcharging fees for themselves and getting salaries too much for the players. Now, that seems to have died down a bit now. I think the administrator has realised, hey, we don't need to pay that much for that player. You know, we'll get him for less or we'll get a different player who isn't going to cost us as much. Uh, and I'll be honest, there were some players, famous names who were cheating. Uh, and there were some great ones. You know, Robert Perez, for example, I thought he was fantastic when he was here. Del Piero. But there were others that were cheating. But one of the most fascinating players to me was Nicholas Anelka. Um when we were there, I was with Peter Reed there again, and the president said, look, I've, I'm bringing in uh, Nicholas Nelka. And my first reaction was, oh, no, because he'd just been banned for putting mm. his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. salute. Uh, yeah, so I thought, no. I, I was really... In, inside, I wasn't going to say publicly, obviously. I'll tell you what, I've never been more wrong in my life. He was super professional, Humble to the point of being shy, brought his wife and family along, uh, devout Muslim, but didn't push it on anybody, just was his business. Uh, if you said be there at nine, he was there at five two. He stayed after training, did extra work. Uh, if he said wear one pink sock, one green sock, Nick would do it. I was really, really impressed. And, and oh, what a player. Yeah. What a player. You know, I'd say he realistically is the best player I've ever worked with and he was 35 then but he was built like a racehorse with this v-shape with a six-pack jumping out of his stomach I was envious uh, but he was a really really good professional yeah I mean he is he was a Chelsea player and I'm a Chelsea fan so oh, well um, you know that yeah yeah people like him people like Drogba hmm. they you know they do the game a service you know some of the other foreigners Cheat, and I've found that the higher the, the player is, the better you use the as a person. I, I've had some bad foreigners who've been. Some have been match fixing. Some have been alcoholics. Some have just been lazy cheats. Uh, but they're not the top boys. The big boys at the top are usually good people and great professionals. So, like another thing I wanted to ask is, you worked in Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, Laos, India, Australia, all these places coming from England. So, within Asia, how would you uh, sum up the differences and nuances in culture? Like, you obviously mentioned a little bit about Malaysia and Thailand, how the players and the families and things like that. Well, like, I, get there... a lot of, I get a lot of uh, letters and emails and people call saying to me, I want to come to Asia. And, you know, I say, well, firstly, where is Asia? That's the first thing. Is it Japan or is it Laos? Or is it Bangladesh? And they look at me low as I'm stupid. I said, there's massive differences in salary, facilities, population base. I mean, you cannot compare India to Laos in population. You know, it's just, it's impossible. So that's the first thing. Asia isn't a place. It is just huge conglomerate. And, you know, you have to realize that what you do in Japan is you cannot do that in Laos. There's the money, and of course, what it comes down to in most cases, of course, is money. Whether we like it or not, the game is driven around money. Uh, and the more money there is, there will be better things going on. There's corruption everywhere in every country. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's got to be corruption. There's always, there's always corruption. And I think as long as you don't join it yourself, that's the first thing. If enough people say no to start, It'll go on. Match fixing goes on. You know that goes on in India. Uh, it goes on in a lot of countries. 
That's to me is the biggest cancer of the game in Asia. Don't for a minute think it doesn't go on in England. I don't think it goes on in EPL because they can't afford to bribe a player. It costs too much. But there's a bloke who wears a referee's kit who isn't on that much money and he can control the result of a game quite easily. So it can go on. And the lower down you go in the leagues, if you've got a lad who's gambling and he's earning £1,000 a week and he's spending £3,000 a week in the bookies, you've got him. So it go, it, it can go on. So there's no one saying it's just an Asian problem. I think the reality is most of the big money is coming from China, from the Chinese bookies. But certainly it's going on all over the world. It goes on in Italy. That's been proven. It's not yeah. a secret. Uh, you know, and it, it goes on for different reasons. Some of it's purely money. Okay, that's greed. I hate it. Some of it's through the threats. Players get threatened. A half understanding. Sometimes there's no money involved. It's for power. It's for political power, in, like in Thailand. You know, the big owners who own clubs, they want to win, to be better than that man in the other club. So they'll make sure that their team wins. Uh, in Italy, it's often like for favours. Look, you lose this week and we'll pay that back when you need a favour if you're going to get relegated next season. So it's complex. Really, it's a complex scenario. It goes on in cricket, as you know. So uh, it, whilst there's money in the game, corruption will occur. And I just hope that's the biggest problem for the development of the game in Asia. One thing that I've been thinking of late is now because of COVID over the past, say, year, year and a half, we've seen football without fans and it doesn't feel the same. But at the same time, the television companies are smart enough. They've put the voice in the background and the noise and they make you feel like there is fans over there. So um, now, obviously, England is open. The stadiums are full. But in India, it's still not the case. A lot of the Asian countries is still not the case. So... How do you think uh, the fan interaction has been with the players in various countries? Is it different? Like, I know the Kolkata club is a lot more vocal, and but the Bangalore club is very similar to an English crowd in terms of chants and songs and things like that. It's just not really part of an Indian uh, sort of fan base. Yeah, it's... I mean, it was awful watching some of the games in England, the EPL games, with no crowd. And if you didn't turn the TV noise on, it was terrible. The only good thing was you could hear players talking yeah. and you'd hear Jordan Henderson screaming at players. You'd hear Virgil van Dijk telling Trent Alexander, move, get there. And that to me was in many cases a good education for players mm. because I've found that culturally Asian players, most countries I've been in, are quite shy. They won't tell each other off. I don't know whether that's a cultural aspect or hierarchical aspect, or just, I have no reason why, but certainly, you know, the, the British way is you get stuck into each other. It's not personal. It's business. It's your, your, you're trying to get the best out of your teammates. Sometimes you encourage, most like Henderson encourages, and Van Dyke does, but there's times when you need to say, hey, bang, no, you do their job properly, son. And, and that's how a lot of young kids learn in the British culture. They learn through playing against men. And, you know, that, that's, it's a tough learning. You know, I broke all my teeth. I had my nose broken, ears split off. Just welcome to football some. And you had to show in my days that you weren't hurt. You couldn't scream and squeal like they do now. It was the exact opposite. Whatever you do, don't show pain. And then you got accepted within the group. Yeah, I mean, I, all the front teeth of mine are broken and fixed because I got yeah. elbowed in the face. Yeah. <laughs> We're going for a header. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's now you laugh at it, but at the time it was pretty painful. And, yeah, it wasn't the best at the time. I agree. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and now I'm just going to ask you a few things. Uh, maybe you like a quick fire questions and things like that. Okay. Yeah. You, you said uh, Nicholas Anelka is the best player that you overall work with, but keeping him aside in India when you were coaching, who was the best that you worked with and the best you saw or you played against? Oh, Nabi. Nabi, he was at uh, Mumbai Mom with me. Yeah, yes. Uh, he became a politician in the end. I just knew him as Nabi, mm. a little fullback. He was mm -hmm. fantastic. You know, uh, I didn't see the best of Bai Chung. 
Mm. I tried to sign him in 2005 in Singapore, but I couldn't afford his salary. Uh, goalkeeper, Subrata Paul, totally insane, but a great <laughs> lad, great, great goalkeeper. Uh, so he was good. A, a player I never saw the best of, and I wish I had. Uh, Stephen Constantine speaks highly of him. Uh, Pradeep. And he was a lovely footballer. He floated. I saw him at the end of his career. He mm. floated around a football pitch. And, of course, Chetri has, has done a Beckham. He has mm. become not only a player, he's become like an icon. Yeah. And you've got to respect his intelligence for doing that. You know, he, he has took his, his playing career onto the next level to become Chetri. Good luck to the lad. I'm delighted for him. Well, I never... Sorry? Didn't score enough goals for me, though. So, no. <laughs> it was that yeah. low when I was there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now his numbers have come up, I think, uh, from the time that he was there. But yeah. I've never heard anybody say this about uh, Pradeep, uh, the way you described him. He scored a great goal in the, you know, the uh, against Syria in that cup final. And uh, he's a Kerala player as well. So, there's a little bit of I, I just saw there. him when I had him at Mohan. He was a bit... Heavy, uh, but you could see his brain. His brain, he could see things all over the pitch, and he had lovely touch of the ball. Uh, Nabi could play anywhere, anywhere on the back. The back, uh, I had a big centre back called Anwar, mm. big power. He could have played in England without a doubt. He could have physically handled England, not a problem. And I think that's the next stage for India. They've got to start looking at taking Indian lads who were born in England or in Europe, you know, and as long as they've got a mom or a dad or, you know, or a grandparent who's Indian, I think, is it called P-I-O? Yeah, P-I-O? player of Indian origin. Yeah, they've got to start it. I mean, they, they, that's just not going to happen because it's a constitutional, uh, this thing, yeah. so they can't see I mean, because if England, if England did the same thing, we wouldn't have a team. We'd be playing five a side. <laughs> Terry Butcher, our big centre-half, 80 caps for England, yeah. he born in Singapore. John Barnes, born in Jamaica. Yeah. You know, so uh, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't apply. I mean, I don't, I don't believe in this five-year rule where if you live there, you can become, that, I think that, that breeds mercenaries. But I think if you've got Indian heritage, you should play for India. Yeah, I mean, I, I am personally on the other side. Like, I feel if you allow that, I mean, first of all, it's not going to happen. I, I know that because I've often spoken to people to see what is the scene. Yeah. But uh, I always thought, I mean, AIFF is going to use misuse that to the point where they're just going to ensure the national team plays. They have 11 foreign uh, Indian heritage players come and play from somewhere and they'll sort of do something and make it look like their football is improving while not looking after the grassroots. That's my yeah, personal that's view. A, that's a fair argument, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if you want to win, yeah, yeah. the best. But, but at the same time, you look at it, how the world is moving, like the French football national team. So many of oh. them uh, like that. It Qatar Absolutely. who's doing the same. Yeah. So uh, France I, wouldn't have a team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Zidane is an Algerian, right? At the end of the day, Algerian. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's so, loads of them different. Kante, yeah. you know. Yeah. The, the, even if even if they're not born themselves there, their mums and dads were born outside of France. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And when now Qatar, the way Qatar is handling things and how they are. Well, they've done nice. a bit different. They've yeah, they've yeah. made a few South Americans yeah. become. Islamic Arabs, yeah. and uh, you know they, they have bent the flexibility. Their bamboo is maybe bending the right a little bit <laughs> down there. Yeah. yeah. So, me um, from Mohan Bagan, they're having coach Mohan Bagan. Or do you have any story about the derby? I didn't. I didn't get get to play in one. Oh really? Didn't get didn't get involved in one. No, I would love to. My mate coached East Bengal, Trevor Morgan. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Really enjoyed it, and I think. The atmosphere is, is great. Uh, when I was there, Salt Lake City, the pitch was like concrete. It was the plastic pitch, a bad one, and it was it was rubbish, I'll be honest. Uh, now it's obviously a lot better football pitch now. But um, I, I think the game itself is fantastic. I think there's also sometimes a bit of a, a mythology, because I read about people saying this is the biggest game in the world, Nobody knows about it outside India. Mm. You know, let, let's not let's not kid ourselves. Let's let's sort of suddenly start saying, you know, everyone's going to talk about the 
the Calcutta Derby. They're not. You know, they don't know about it. Uh, nothing wrong with that in a sense that maybe they should start selling it better. Yeah. TV coverage, yeah. better TV, English language TV coverage, uh, interview the players, build it up, sell it all around the world. Yeah, it, then it could become known because having 100,000 people in there is great. It's great for the game. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we fail uh, as, a, as a footballing nation, I would say, is that uh, there are some great literature that you can read about what the history and things like that, you know, the Mohammedans and how they, Mohammedan, Bagan, all of them have history of 100 plus years. Yeah. And how they're also got a ethnic rivalry, Mohan Bagan and East Bengal. So we didn't really talk about, like, we. it's spoken very much so in West Bengal, in Kolkata. But the rest of the country, they just know these, like, you know, these are two powerhouses or historical clubs who play against each other. We personally, I think we could have done better packaging the whole story, saying that, look, oh, this is the reason. Marketing the get, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, Mohammed Gunn has got thousands and thousands of fans and there was no shop. They couldn't yeah. buy the shirts. Yeah. You know, you, if they, every fan had bought a shirt, we could have bought 10 new players. You know, it was uh, it was so, so way behind marketing-wise. It may have changed, I don't know. The ISL was certainly different. The ISL, I think, has been a kick in the backside for a lot of clubs. I mean, my feeling as a foreigner would be keep the ISL and keep the I-League without, without foreigners. Have mm. only Indian players. So don't have them at the same time. Have two separate leagues uh, so that the best Indians can play in the I-League and the ISL with the best foreigners coming in to support them. And in the I-League, you have the best Indians again and you have the best young Indians coming through. So, for example, strikers. All the ISL clubs have got foreign strikers. Yeah. How on yeah. earth can you get another Chetri? It's so yeah. di- he's not going to get a game. But if he's playing 35 games in the I-League for East Bengal or for Kerala, then he's got a chance. So, again, that suggestion was laughed at. But, I mean, that's it's not my country. That was just my opinion, you know. So uh, that was, I felt, the best for the game to get the best yeah. for the Indian players. Yeah. For the Indian players, the best to play more games and the youth team lads to get more games with good men. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I sort of agree with the same because even when you go to the local games here, like the state leagues, there are still two foreigners. A lot of the yeah. teams, not all of them, some of them do have foreigners. Yeah. And a waste uh, of money. <laughs> it is a waste of money. Because a lot of them don't uh, qualify also. I mean, they don't qualify, they can't fill the criteria, so they never get to move up to the, say, I-League 2 to I-League yeah. 1 and uh, I-League, not I-League 1 and things like that. So, it's just a waste of money and then you could have played a youngster. Another yeah. problem that you say, like you said, like, it, India, for me, it looks like it's a country with a lot of hype. Like, we just hype up a lot of things. We did this, we did this, we did this. But results on the field is not that great. Like, today, Mohan, ATK Mohan Bagan lost 6-0 to uh, an Uzbekistan team. So, uh, and everywhere, and I, I personally thought if you could get past them, potentially you could reach the final of the AFC Cup because the next so round would ta- have been... what time will the coach get sacked? No, I don't think... No, no. <laughs> Those days are uh, not beyond us, but sort of, sort of. Uh, I don't know how, yeah. these, how they're going to run the club, but uh, yeah. it's a new entity, right? I don't know if it merged or if Mark Bagan is still there or anything. It's a whole yeah. mess, like you said. But uh, it's a lot of hype that India has built up. So every time a young striker comes and scores two goals, everybody is up in arms. Like, yeah, he's the next guy. He's the next big thing. Gets shipped up to an I-League team or an ISL team. He doesn't have game time, so he goes out wide. Ends up being a wing back, a left back or a left like, winger or right winger. JJ, was JJ like that? No, JJ was lucky in that he played a lot of the games in the middle. Right, because he yes. was a good player, I thought, JJ. Yeah, he played with I, I, Duffy, Darren Duffy, uh, in Mohan Bagan, um, next to each I other. Yeah, and there was another, there was another Indian lad, uh, Raja, Raja Paul, who, he, he wasn't that good in one position, but we moved him. And he suddenly blossomed. Uh, mm. I think it was Raja Paul. No, Jewel. I also like Jewel Raja. Jewel Raja, who was a good little midfielder. I liked him. And there was another fella, Raja, but I can't remember his name, second name. Mm. It's, it's, 
as you coach so many players, you get you know so so many names. <laughs> every name is is you know so so difficult to, to say in some cases. The ties are the worst, by the way. The Thailand names are impossible to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, is there any funny moment that sticks out to you uh, in your time in Indian football and by extension Asian football as well? Well, I mean, in Indian football, I I, I couldn't beat the skipping without ropes. I absolutely love that. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I always remember sitting next to Brian Robson uh, in Iran, and there was a hundred thousand crowd, and there was hundred thousand big men. All the guards were big men with machine guns, and it was nil-nil with five minutes to go. And I just turned around to Brian Robson and said, "Robo, I hope we lose," <laughs> you know, because I didn't fancy getting out of that place. You know? And he looked at me and said, "Yep, I think we might do that." Now we ended up losing one-nil, which wasn't a bad result with Iran because we drawn them nil-nil in hot at home. But uh, you know, that, that was a scary place to go to. And and once when I was playing in Thailand. This was a long time ago. I was, I was playing uh, for a team from Bahrain, and I went across to play in Thailand. And we went into a small stadium, and it was total silence. And I looked, and it was full, and the whole stadium was full of Buddhist monks. Oh, they couldn't, couldn't talk. Yeah, they weren't allowed to scream. So we played in silence. <laughs> it was just a absolute strain, a bit like the EPL last year. You know, yeah. pre-COVID practice. You know. But yeah, I mean, I certainly, uh, you know, love love the place. You know, I've had ninety nine percent good time. I've been lucky, met great people. You know, you get you, you have better places than others. Of course, you do. And that, and I'll be honest, it usually comes down to when you win the most. Uh, yeah. That's what I've, I wrote in the book. You can forget this posh word philosophy or project. The main thing is in Asia, win. If you don't win, you're not there anyway. Uh, long term is next week. Development is by winning more next week. So forget your, you've got to survive. Uh, I've lasted three years in about five different clubs or, and national teams. So, but that was all based on winning something. And I, I failed in a couple of clubs. Mohan and Kalantan failed. I've got to put my hand up, didn't succeed. But, and I could blame other people. I could blame politics. We can all do that. But when I won, you know, it was important because winning for a coach in Asia is political power. So if you're winning, you can suddenly say, hey, let's let's not get a bus next week. Let's get a plane. And you look after the players. Let's buy 20 more balls rather than, you know, but if you're losing, get your mouth shut, say nothing, you know, and then that's, that's the reality of coaching in Asia. Well, this is so fascinating, the whole thing, so. Of all the Asian countries, where did you have the best time for you? Player, coach, whatever it may be. Uh, on the pitch, Malaysia. You could say off the pitch, Thailand. But uh, on the pitch, Malaysia. I, I met some wonderful people there. I had three years in Johor. And you should see Johor now. The the, the prince has put mm. his money in. Yeah. And it, it is world-class, JDT. World-class yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, I had three years in Parak. And I had half a year in Kelantan. But, you know, there's lots of great things in Kelantan as well. You know, so that was probably, Malaysia's probably, <clears throat> if I had to retire, I'd retire to Malaysia. That's where, you know, I would probably go. The Lao was fighting a battle, lots of battles, economic battles, but they were good people. The, the administrators at Lao were great administrators. I had a lot of time for the president. And Vipet, his name is, and the secretary, Keo, they they really, really pushed the game. A bit like in Manipur. Manipur people were great. So it, it's hard to pin it down, but I'd say Malaysia if I had to. And But if I was going to come back as a cricketer, only one place, India. Did you watch the test recently, the India-England ones? Sadly, yes. Very sadly. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Because, that was a great, uh, great uh, series, right? Uh, I mean, they absolutely, I mean, isn't, isn't Coley a wonderful leader? I, I could play for Coley because mm. you could just see he would drive you to the limit. You know, I liked MS Dhoni when he played, but yeah. Coley, I think, is Coley, I think, is Coley. Fire and Ice, no? Dhoni and Coley. Uh, but just, just the whole, 
the quality of the cricket was was you know it was every week every day was different every session was different so and uh, and obviously all the people now in England are saying Indians want to play in the IPL didn't want to play in the last test but that's yeah. what English is saying. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is what it is, right? Sometimes they, people just argue about things. But I personally always enjoy uh, tours that happen in England because of the weather and the ball. Yeah. You use the dupe balls, right? So it's yeah. swings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah swings. so it's great to see, especially now that India has a good fast bowling lineup. You're like, yes. yeah, finally, you'll see what happens when you go over there. So. I was brought up on uh, Chandrasekhar, Venkats, um, mm. Bishan Bedi. Yeah. And my hero as a kid was Farooq Engineer. Really? He was my, yeah, he, Lancashire wicketkeeper. I was a wicketkeeper and, and, and he was Lancashire, where I'm from. So Farooq was my hero. And what a cavalier player he was, you know. So how comes the shift to football then? If you were so into football and cricket? Um, cricket, I wasn't good enough to make money. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that. Football offered me money. Cricket offered me Nothing. I wasn't good enough to you know to make it. I played against some good cricketers, and I realised, I was not going to make that next step up. Yeah, that happened to me also. We were playing football. I was like, oh, this this is beyond me. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. Yeah, I'm not skillful happen. enough. So yeah. uh, I'll just stick to writing about uh, football. Yeah, nothing wrong <laughs> with that. Yeah. Yeah. So your favourite club is Liverpool, I assume. Yes. Yes. You, they say in England, you can. You can change your wife, you can change your religion here, but you can't change your football club. <laughs> <laughs> that is you know, that is the important thing, you know. So yeah. uh, I, I was b- born in Anfield, right next to the ground, which, which I see lucky. Mm. I was born at the same time Bill Shankly was around, which mm. I think is lucky mm-hmm. again. Uh, and so that's, it, it, you cannot change your club. That's it, it, you've got it. I think Everton's a great club. Yeah. And most yeah. of my family are Evertonians, but... I've got Liverpool, that's it. Yeah, I mean, when you were growing up, uh, in that time, probably Everton was a better team, right? After the great success of Liverpool had, Everton had a decent oh, no, spell in the 80s. No, this right? is, a, when I was growing up, it was the 60s. Okay, 60s yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. and Everton were good. Everton, mid-80s, Liverpool a bit later as well. I mean, both of them were fantastic clubs. You know, they, they do, you know, great jobs, both of them, in the community as well. Probably Everton do a better job in the community. They yeah, go around I mean, all the places looking after people. I think this is something that Indian clubs can do better in terms of giving back to the community or sort of yeah, helping yeah. out the community, which it's I think important. Is, yeah, yeah. If you get if you get the kids, if, you know, if, uh, if a kid meets a famous player, he's his for life. He's got mm. him for life. You know, I, I met Shankly. He's got me for life. You know. Yeah, yeah. Which we don't do. I think we're starting to do it now a little bit more than before. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think a lot more to do because that that uh, emotional connection is often uh, it's weird. So I work in Bangalore now. So uh, there is a whole bunch like the Bangalore FC has huge fan base and a lot of young people, a lot of uh, people, middle class, upper middle class, that kind of uh, group of people. But the hotbeds of football, where football grew up, like you sort of had a Brazil of uh, Bangalore, it's called Gautampura, which has a statue of Pele and uh, all these kind of things. So those people follow the old clubs, the HALs and the ITIs and things. They like yeah. to watch the local football. So it's so widespread. I, I guess it's also because of varied as a country it is because in Bangalore itself, we have Tamil speaking people, Malayalam speaking people, uh, Hindi and Kannada and uh, all these. It's a very cosmopolitan place. So I'm just, it's it fascinates me because I really got into this. I feel like I should write a book at some point. Uh, Why doing not? all the research. Yeah. yeah. Go for it. Culture. Yeah. 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 About the culture of football. It's been yeah. really interesting speaking to people and finding out and things. So from that standpoint of view, standpoint, I'm really, really happy to have a conversation with you because it's been really funny, a lot more funnier than I expected and right. uh, really enjoyable as well. A lot of great insights. So uh, I think I've taken a lot of your time as well. So uh, no problems. Thank you so much. I'm I'm going to buy the book. So I shall send you. Uh, Shukriya. Shukriya. <laughs> I shall send you an email once I finish uh, this. When is it coming out again? October. I hopefully COVID has slowed it down. Obviously, it's published mm. in Australia. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be. They say October, but everything's delayed because of COVID, as usual. 
it'll it'll get there. It'll get is, there. Is there going to be an audio book as well? Uh, not audio, but there might be an ebook. You know, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. no one would understand my accent if I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get. Uh, I'll get Cheryl Khan to make make an audio book. That would. Yeah, Cheryl Khan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, thank you, thank you so much uh, for your time, Costa. Okay. I hope to see you back in the show soon. I hope. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.